may be seated. For those of you who don't know who I am, I am Pastor Michael. <laughs> uh, I'm downstairs, I'm children's coordinator. Your kids know who I am. I'm the crazy guy that shoots them with Nerf guns, and we do all sorts of crazy things, but we have fun learning about Jesus. I was figuring out that six years, ten months ago, I came to this church. I told Pastor Dave, if you ever need someone to fill, for your, fill in for you, please let me know. It only took six years, ten months, so... When I'm 61, I can be the next time I'll be back here. <laughs> for about six years, I sat at a, at a desk and worked on the computer for about six, eight hours a day. I was constantly have to go back and check my email all the time. I was amazed of how much dumb things came through the email. Emails that said that I was named in a, uh, a will, and if I would just send my ID or my passport and my account number, this money would be transferred into my account. Like you, I went, who is that dumb? Who would be stupid enough to do something like that? And then I started realizing... This is coming up all the time. There must be people dumb enough to actually believe something like that. This series we are in today, five dumb things Christians believe. About a month ago, as we sat in staff meeting, we were talking about this. I asked Dave, I said, can I have this message? <laughs> we Christians believe such dumb things, it amazes me. How do we get where we are today? We have urban legends that some people are dumb enough to believe it. There's an old saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. We Christians believe dumb things too. I heard a talk show host say that there were many ways to God and a stadium filled with 70,000 people, and people applauded. Like, what? Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to the Father. But because this entertainer said that, there were thousands of people believed this dumb thing. I used to work for an evangelist when I was in Houston. He was one of the good evangelists. I heard him make some dumb statements. Someone that was just coming on the scene as I was leaving, I've heard him say that God wants you to be healthy, 
wealthy and wise. And if you are not, it's because you're not following God. That's dumb. Who would believe that? Obviously, there's people do because he lives in a house that costs $7 million. He flies around in a plane that costs $17 million. And if he tells you that God wants you to be wealthy, he says you can prove it by giving your money to him. And there are dumb enough people that actually do that. Here's another one. God helps those who help themselves. How many of you have heard that before? Most of us. You know, it's not found anywhere in the Bible. It actually comes, be traced back to Greek tragedies or dramas. Not Christian. It's also, the idea is patterned in the Quran, but it's not in the Bible. But we Christians, we believe these dumb things. Today, I, we're going to be talking about forgiving is forgetting. If you forgive somebody, that means you forget it. How many of you have heard that? I have. I've been counseling for about 30, 35 years. It amazes me that people that come to me and tell me that this is the concept that they've been taught. I'm like, well, you might have been taught about that. That's not what God says. Um, to prepare for this lesson, I've read two books, three articles from the American Medical Association, two articles from the Brain Connection, and one article from the Memory Institute. I have some data I'd like, just like to share with you. Scientists divide memory into categories based on the amount of time the memory lasts. The shortest memory lasts only milliseconds. It's called immediate memories. Memories lasting about a minute are called working memories. And memories lasting anywhere from an hour to many years are called long-term memories. Each type of memory is tied to a particular type of the brain function. Long-term memory, the class we're most familiar with, is used to store facts, observations, stories of our lives, uh, and even Traumatic, traumatic hurts to our lives. It's stored in your long-term memory. Working memory is used to hold the same kind of information for a much shorter amount of time. Often, just long enough for the information to be useful. For instance, a working memory might hold the page of a magazine number long enough for you to turn to that page. Then we have the immediate memory. This memory is typically so short-lived that we don't even think of it as a memory. The brain uses this immediate memory as a collection bin for what it determines as unimportant information. I stand before you, I'm 55 years old today. Not, not my birthday's not today, but today I'm 55 years old. I'm forgetting things. I forget names very badly. I can remember numbers, but I forget names. I probably know every child in Kid Zone. But when I look at you, uh, your Cassie's mom plays the piano, uh, your Joyce, I, I got it. And I work that way. I know some of you might have problems remembering things and forgetting like me too. 
Now it's winter, I wear a coat. And after church, I put my coat on, and I can't find my keys. There's pockets in my coat. There's pockets in my pants. There's pockets in my shirt. So I found a solution to that. I wear my keys. They don't go anywhere. I know where they're at. These are all the church keys, and this is everything I need for the month is put on my flash drive. In case I have forgot to print it off at home, I can bring it up here, and I can print it off there. And when I do need to leave, I have my car keys right here. <laughs> I wear them. I don't forget them. I have lost my cell phone occasionally. The rest of the staff give me a hard time about that. For Christmas, my pastor gave me a tracker. You're supposed to put it onto your cell phone. If you lose your cell phone, I can go to the computer and put, find my phone and it will show me. Unfortunately, it emits a high-pitched tone. I don't hear any high end. I wear hearing aids. I can put the tracker next to my ear and I still don't hear it. My wife, two rooms away, goes, will you turn that thing off? Okay. So I do forget things. You forget things. What about when we forgive? Do we forget those? Mostly not. As I studied about the levels and classes of memory, my wife, I love her with all my heart, she gets upset with me when she tells me something and I've used my hearing aids, my ears, and I have heard what she said. According to the studies that I saw, the five senses that we have are used by the brain to receive information. Oh, that's hot. That's a touch. Or, I don't like that taste. Or, that smells awful. Or, something you see. Or, something you hear. All those senses are used to bring that information to the brain. When it gets to the brain, it's transformed... On the way to the brain, it's transformed into an electrical impulse that's received by neurons. Those neurons take that information, process it, and decide whether it should be a long-term memory, should be a working memory, or an immediate memory. Now, Joanne has said, I just told you this. Why did you forget? Now, according to what I read to you, I could accurately tell her when... I heard you say that. My ears picked up that information. It came to my brain. My brain deciphered that and decided that it was unimportant information or unnecessary information. Therefore, my brain decided not to retain that. You laugh. I could say that. I'm not that dumb. I really am not. If you choose to say that to your spouse, I would like you to explain to me how that worked for you. Because if I chose to do that, I know it would not work for me. In this study, they compared our brain to a computer. So I asked my son, who's working to be a computer engineer, and as he tried to explain this to me, and I considered myself pretty computer savvy, he was at least 10 feet over my head. Like, right. Rob, I could have asked you. You could have told me in a language I could have understood. What I did find out, 
that modern computers encode memory at a vast array of independent digital bits of information that are randomly accessible. Oh, RAM, I understand that. Functionally, this means that your computer can bring up your best friend's phone number without accessing any other information about what your best friend looks like or uh, how you met. The human brain is not like that. The human brain stores memory in a very different way. Recalling your best friend's phone number may very well bring to your mind your friend's face, a pleasant conversation that you had, the title of a movie that you saw together or are going to see. While the computer memories are discrete and informationally simple, the human brain memories are tangled together and informationally complex. I started looking up some different symptoms of people with extreme memories. Now, Dr. Randolph, I mispronounced this. I'm not a doctor, okay? The first one was hyperthymesic syndrome or hypothymesia. It's an extraordinary memory of daily life events. People that have this rare condition think about, remember, everything that has happened to them all day long. Plus, everything that happened the day before, and the day before that, and the day before that. It's constantly going through their mind. The other one is eidetic. It's a photographic memory. I can remember numbers. A couple years back, I worked at a, a, a store chain here in town, and someone read off their credit card number. That's been seven years ago. Today, I know that credit card number. I audibly received it, and I know it. Bad thing, if I've ever wanted to steal their number, I would have it in my mind. I've tried to get rid of it, but it's locked there. Human, com- human brain is so complex that there's memories that can never be taken away. Today we're going to look at forgiving, is it forgetness? Oh, sorry, is forgiving, is it forgetting? No. In your notes, you should have Matthew 6, 12 there. It says, now, Cecil, I brought my kid Bible. I used to use NIV and then been working with kids for so long. I might as well use the Bible I, I use to teach them. So I'll bring Bob and Larry with me today. In Matthew 6, 12, it says, Forgive us our sins just as we've forgiven those who sinned against us. When Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he told his disciples, and asked the question, teach us how to pray. He said, okay, this is how you pray. In verse 12, he says, forgive our sins, just as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul reiterates this, puts it a different way. Colossians 3.13 says, put up with each other. Bear with one another. Forgive the things you're holding against one another. Forgive just as the Lord forgave you. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll just look at verse 32. It says, be kind 
and tender to one another. Forgive each other just as God forgave you because of what Christ has done. Ephesians 4.32. I looked up this in context. Verse 31, Paul says, Do not be bitter or angry or mad. Never about uh, get, never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Never do anything evil. Be kind, loving to each other, forgiving each other, just as God forgave you. As I read that, I said, I think I need to look that up. So I got my Greek Bible out and I looked at it. When it says just as, it's the word kathos. It means exactly in the same manner as. We are commanded by God to forgive. How many of you like me have a hard time forgiving those that have hurt you? I have. You see, I've told you that the way our mind receives information is through our senses. When we have been wronged or hurt by somebody, and we have physically, emotionally have felt that, it goes instantly into our long-term memory. Let me give you an example. My wife and I have been married 29 years. We've been married two years, and we had paid off all of her credit card debt. We had saved up enough money to buy a van and pay cash for it. And I was so excited about that. We had the van picked out. We were going to go down, pay for it in cash, walk out of there free and clear. My older brother heard me saying, I said, I'm in a really hard place, and if you would lend that money to me, I promise you I'll pay it back. Now, I know that if you choose to give somebody, the Bible says you must be outside the heart or the idea in your mind, they might not pay back, and you have to be okay with that. I said, okay. I lent him the money. In my heart, I knew I'd probably never, ever see that again. But I was okay with that. After many processes of me consciously saying, I forgive him, that debt will probably never be paid back to me. He's still my brother. I still love him, and I will forgive that debt. I haven't thought about it for almost 29 years. And so I started preparing for this message. As I started preparing for this message and saying that we're supposed to forgive just as God forgave, that came back to mind. I know the exact figure of how much he owes me and the, past, the prior times he borrowed money before that. And I have to consciously say, okay, God, I'm still not going to see that money, but he, I choose to no longer hold that offense against him, and I must forgive him over and over and over again. Forgiveness, it's not an option. It's a command. Jesus told the disciples, when you pray, ask God to forgive you just as He's forgiven. Ask him to allow you to forgive others just as he's forgiving you. Forgiveness is not an option. Forgiveness is hard. It's very hard. 
and it goes against our nature because we want revenge. You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. You say something about me, I'm going to say something about you. That's our nature. It's not God's nature, but that's our nature. When God commands us to forgive, he's asking to go against our very nature. But he's not leaving it by ourselves. Forgiveness is not forgetting. As I shared with my story of my brother, your senses trigger neurons in your brain that rehash those memories and they come back. Some of us are able to forget some things, not just our keys or our cell phone. We're able to forget past hurts, some. The greater the hurt, the greater the offense, the greater the wrong, the harder it is to forget it. So is God asking us to forget? No. He's asking us to forgive. So let's find out what biblical forgiveness is. Now I told you I forget things. I had an object lesson I was going to show you that I used in Kids Own and uh, Wana's, and I forgot it. <laughs> I called my wife. I said, I've left this on my desk or somewhere. And she looked around. And she couldn't find it. So again... I forget things, okay? But you know what? I don't think I'm the only one in this room. Can we forget those pains that are so real, those hurts that still ache? Probably not. Can we forgive? Only if we choose to do so. Forgiveness is Choosing to no longer hold the fence or the wrong done against you, done to you against the person who committed it. So what does the Bible mean when it speaks of God remembering our sins no more? It means that God no longer responds to us in the light of those sins. They no longer derail our relationship with him. In Jeremiah 31, verse 34, he says, I will forgive them for their wicked things that they did. I will not remember their sins no more. You will throw away all our sins into the depths of the sea. Micah 7, verse 19. How many have heard that verse before? I've had Sunday school teachers tell me what that means is that God chooses, when he forgives your sins, he chooses to forget it. He throws it as far as the east is from the west. He puts it into the sea of forgetfulness, and he remembers it no more. And then he places a sign out there that says, no fishing. How many of you have heard something to that effect? Some of us have. Okay? My Bible teaches me that God is all-knowing. If he's all-knowing, then he can't forget. So, if I ask God to forgive me of my sin, does he forget it? No. There's two levels or realms of forgiveness. Now, this is what I was going to show you with an object lesson. I would bring out a whiteboard, and I'd ask you to name some sins. And I would start writing it, and I'd use an orange marker. I would cover this whiteboard 
or this poster or this piece of paper with as much stuff like it, I would make it as messy as I could. And I would show you, when we started out, it was all clean and pure. But now look at it, it looks pretty bad. I said, but you know what? November 21st, 1987, I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Then you take a black pen and you write Jesus. Then you have all this mess all over the whiteboard or, or poster board. Then you had the letters Jesus. Behind it, I have red film. And I flip it over. The red cancels out the, the orange. You see nothing but the words of Jesus. I say, boys and girls, this shows us how God forgives us spiritually or eternally. Forgiveness, this type of forgiveness, wipes the slate clean. God treats us as if it had never happened. The eternal consequences are completely removed. I have other object lessons I would show the kids downstairs about how that means. That when one aspect of God's forgiveness... It's already been settled with Jesus on the cross. It's already been paid for by his blood. He has cleansed us from all unrighteousness spiritually, eternally. But Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin separates us from God to the point that he can't even hear our prayers. Therefore, we have John, 1 John 1, 1.9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Spiritually, it's already been taken care of by Jesus. If you've received him, his blood's been applied for you, and it's been wiped clean. When God sees us, he sees that the blood's been applied to us, and he says, you are forgiven. But you know what? We serve a God that's all-knowing. Though, in that object lesson, when I flip that red film over, you can't see anything but Jesus. God sees everything we've done. He knows every thought we've ever had. He's heard everything we've ever said. Doesn't it make some of us feel uncomfortable? It does me at times. I know how bad Michael can be. There's also another realm. It's the earthly and temporal realm. God seldom, if ever, removes the consequences or restores all that we have broken. There's many examples in the Bible. I would like to just look at one. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, we have the story of King David. After his affair with Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet confronts him. So I want to tell you a story. It tells you a story that was this rich man had lots of sheep and goats of his own, cattle of his own. There was this poor man that had one female sheep or lamb. He loved this lamb. He says that he would feed him from his own table, drink from his own cup. He would sleep with this lamb. One day, this rich man had a visitor, had a friend come by to visit. He wanted to throw him a feast, but rather than taking one of his own cattle or sheep or goats, he took the poor man's one and only. He killed it, he cooked it, and fed it to his guest. David was infuriated. He says, this man 
ought to die. We must pay, he must pay for the lamb four times for doing such an awful thing. He had no mercy. Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the the Lord says. The God of Israel says, I appointed you king of Israel. I have saved you from Saul. I gave you his kingdom with his wives. And I've made you the king of Israel and Judah. And in that, you have not been, that had not been enough for you. I would have given you even more. So why did you ignore the Lord's command? Why did you do what he says is wrong? You killed Uriah, the Hittite, with the sword of the Amorites. You took his wife to be your own wife. So there will always be people in your family who will be killed by the sword. This is because you showed that you did not respect me. And you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This is what the Lord says. I am bringing trouble to you from your own family. While you watch, I will take your wives from you. I will give them to someone who is very close to you. He will have sexual relations with them. And everyone will know it. You had sexual relations with Bathsheba in secret, but I will do this for all the people of Israel can see it. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered, The Lord has taken away your sin. You will not die, but what you did has caused the Lord's enemies to lose all respect for him. For this reason, your very own son who will be born to you, will die. As I read that passage, I picked out different things or consequences because of what David sinned. First of all, it says a sword would not depart from his house. People in his house would die of the sword. He would always be at war. His very own son would dishonor him publicly as he dishonored Uriah in private. The temple he always wanted to build would be built by another. The son he conceived in his night of passion would die a few days after his birth. There were consequences for his sin. It's bad news, right? If I was down with the children, I'd say, you know what? If I had a glass of cyanide right here, and I drank this. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. And I asked God to forgive me. Would he forgive me? And some of the kids say, no. Well, actually, the Bible says, yes, he would. Would I still die? Yeah. Unless God miraculously intervened, I would still die. And there's a consequence for my sin. When David was caught, Nathan said, you're that man. He laid out what the consequences were. There's consequences for our sin. There's also forgiveness. He said, the Lord has taken away your sin from you. Those consequences are real. 
But the forgiveness is just as real. I love that story. Because even though David messed up, even though he sinned, even though he wronged, he suffered consequences for that. But David comes back and says, the Lord has forgiven you. There's proof of that forgiveness. David is one of the writers of the sacred scriptures recorded in our Bible. Jesus actually quotes some of those in the New Testament that David wrote. He referred to him as a man after his own heart. That was after Bathsheba. You know what? David screwed up. David messed up. God had a plan for him that because of the choices that he made, those cha- those, that plan was no longer in effect. There, were a, there was a plan B. God wasn't through with David. It wasn't he was leaving him in a state of hopelessness. He says, there's hope for you. If you will turn back to me, if you'll obey me, I am still going to use you. David wanted to build a temple for God. God said, nope, you can't do it. Someone else will. Solomon built the temple. God was not finished with David, and he's not finished with you and I. You and I have continued to disobey, to mess up, to sin, even after becoming a Christian. Does that mean God washes his hands of us? Absolutely not. He says, I love you. I have forgiven you. I have chosen to no longer hold that offense, that wrong that you committed against you. Because you have sought me for forgiveness, the payment was taken care of Jesus. And I, because you have forgiven me, I will restore that relationship with you and reunite you as my child. That's great news. When we ask God to forgive us, he does. When we prove that that forgiveness was real, when we demonstrate that we were truly repentant, truly serious with God, and we turn back and obey him, God wants us, you know, I had this plan for you, you made these choices, that, long, that plan is no longer in effect, but I'm not done with you. I can still use you to bring glory to my name. I mean, that's great news for me. All the times that Michael has messed up, God hasn't said, I'm done with you. He says, I still got a plan for you. You're still usable in my hands. I still want to bring glory to myself through you. God is so good. He teaches us that we are commanded to forgive. As I researched, our memory is made up or comes from our senses. When we have been hurt, that's locked into our long-term memory. Why are we told to forgive if Christ has already taken care of that? When Paul wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 4, verse 31, says, put away all this anger and this bitterness be kind, tender heart, forgive. When I first came to Wyoming in 1995, I pastored a church in Torrington. There was a woman in the church 
who was known throughout the community of doing gracious and kind acts to others. She grew up poor, very poor. She had a rough childhood. She had a marriage that wasn't a very loving marriage. God had blessed her with four children. She had children that turned their back on her and she had been hurt. But she continued to do these acts of generosity. She continued to be kind to those who were in need. But she never learned how to forgive. If you talked to her for more than one minute, she would bring up a past hurt that she had gone through. I never discounted that, yes, you were hurt. You were wrong. I told her it was my goal to help you to move past that, to receive God's forgiveness and learn to forgive others, that it might help you, that you can be the, all the woman God wants you to be. She didn't like that. She liked to hang on to that hurt. Those people that had hurt her did not know that she never really truly forgave them. She had no contact with them. There's someone in this church who know who I'm talking about. This woman was the most bitter woman I had ever met in my life. She would tell me these stories I'd heard thousands of times. And I said, I, I have an idea. I'll finish the story for her. And I would. Yes, when you were six years old, you didn't. And I would go, I'd go in. And I'd tell the story. Didn't slow her down one bit. Because she'd come right back and just continue on and repeat the story. I said, you need to learn to forgive. To no longer hold that hurt, that wrong against that person ever again. She never did. We did many things as our church, joining other churches and services. We'd been here at North Hills for, uh, when Pastor Brad was here. We'd, all through the uh, community. We shared a service at another church in town. The pastor talked with her after the service, talked to her for less than 45 seconds. He came to me and said, where is she coming from? She's so bitter. It quenches my spirit just to be around her. I said, yeah, I know how it feels. I try to love her through it. I try to encourage her to stop bringing up this hurt to stop holding these hurts against these persons that have wronged you so badly. Forgive them as God has forgiven you. Actually, I said, in the exact same manner that God's forgiven you. How many of you have done things that need to be forgiven? A couple of you have. I want to help you get to that point of being able to forgive. First of all, we need to stop keeping score. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, talking about love. He says, true love doesn't keep count of wrongs. If you want to learn how to forgive, first step is stop keeping account. Stop keeping score. Do you remember Peter in Matthew chapter 18? He came to Jesus and he said, How often should I forgive a person that's wronged me? Seven times? Let's try it again. Seven times? 
You see, the Jewish law said you were commanded to forgive three times. Well, Peter said, well, I'll, give, I'll forgive three times, plus another three, and one more, that's seven. Should we forgive them seven times? Jesus said, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. 490 times. That had to blow Peter away. That was way more than what the Jewish law said you had to do. Well, Jesus wasn't teaching you, okay, you forgive them 490 times, and on 491, you let them have it. That's not what he was teaching. He was teaching that we need to keep on forgiving. Doesn't mean we'll forget, but we need to keep on saying, I no longer choose to hold that offense that you've done against me. Does that make me a walking mat, a floor mat that someone can just walk over me? Absolutely not. My brother has promised me many times that he would repay the money he's bought, borrowed from me. I know I'll never see it again. I have forgiven him. I won't hold that against him. But in my wisdom, though it was slow learning, I'm not going to lend him any money. I know it's not going to come back to me. Now I'm in a financial situation. I don't have the money to lend him. I have to keep on forgiving. We need to get a good mirror. We need to ask God, what have I done? And how have I been forgiven? When we do that, God, show me all the things I have done wrong. Have anyone ever honestly done that? I have. And God showed me and brought me to tears. I was like, God, how could you love me? How could you forgive me? And you know everything that I have done. So when we struggle with forgiving someone else, first of all, keep on forgiving. Second, ask God to show us all the things that we've done wrong. Ask him to show us why we need to be forgiven. A few weeks ago, in the month of uh, January, all through the month, we taught about why we need to be forgiveness. Because we're all sinners. We've all missed God's mark of perfection, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. I asked Brother Jerry to come down, and I wanted to use him as an object lesson. Pastor Dave said he's a very good archer. Jerry came down, and he set up his little target. I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take one of your arrows, and on your first shot, I want you to miss the target. I didn't know about Jerry's history, how good a shot he was. He told me that I've been in nationals. I've trained to hit the target. I don't know if I can miss. I personally, if I shot an arrow at a target, I'd have no problem missing it, okay? <laughs> but Jerry came down. We blocked off where the kids couldn't get anywhere near him. And I told him, I'm going to have Jerry shoot. And his first shot... He fired that arrow, and it hit the top right-hand corner. And I went, stop, all clear downrange. And I went down and said, boys and girls, when you see that, here's the target, and this is where he hit. According to archery, when you miss that target, you sin. So, Brother Jerry, you sinned. I said, well, okay. You know, he wasn't perfect, but you know what, neither are we. So we're going to give him another chance. So the next three arrows he fired, 
And a target this big, he put three arrows in it. Very impressive. I told Pastor Dave this. And he goes, did you get this on film? No, I wasn't even thinking about that. He goes, you need to reenact that. So Jerry, though I made you very, very nervous, because you're not used to to missing, we're going to ask you to come back and do it so we have it on film so we can show you how awesome this really was. But it was a perfect object lesson. Because we all have sinned. We've all done things wrong. We need to be reminded of all the things, reasons Jesus had to forgive us. Third, we have a trust issue. Just because you do forgive somebody, does that mean you're going to trust them? Does that mean that you're going to be their best friend again? Not necessarily. Forgiveness doesn't mean that trust has been completely restored, close relationships being completely restored. Trust has to be earned. I told you I've been counseling for about 35 years. On too many occasions, I've had a spouse come in and tell me about the unfaithfulness of their husband or their wife, and that they, needed, they knew they needed to forgive them. And I helped them work through that process. And when they told that, that wife or that husband, I forgive you, on more than one occasion, that person took it. Well, you forgave me. Everything that I've, I've done to you, every wrong, needs to be just be wiped clean, and I just come back in. No. You lost your trust. You blew it. I forgive you. I choose to no longer hold that sin against you. Whether or not you come in, that's a different story. You have to prove to me that you can be a trustworthy person again. You want to learn how to biblically forgive? Stop keeping score. Get a good mirror. Realize that trust has to be earned. How can you get there? If you like Pastor Michael and you have a problem forgiving others, give God permission to change the way you feel. God, help me to see this person who's wronged me the way you see them. How does God see us? We're created in his image. He loves us. God, change the way I feel about them. I tell God how they've hurt me, how I have been wrong. I let them know my heart. I said, now, Change my heart that I can have, see them the way you see them. Because right now, all I can see is what they've done to me or how much they've hurt me or my family. Help me to see them as you see them. Ask God to remind you of all the sins that you've committed. He will. And when you realize how much you needed forgiveness, maybe Ephesians 4.32 Forgive others just as you've been forgiven in Christ by God in the exact same manner. Give up the right to get even. Michael, there are times when I've been wrong and I've been hurt. I have, I'll suck it up. You mess with my family. You hurt one of my children. I'll be all over you like black as on night. That's revenge. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, we are told 
that revenge is God's. He will repay. When you can accept that, that it's not up to me to get even, that when I forgive them, I choose to no longer hold that sin against them. The consequences of what that hurt, I may no longer trust them. It may be difficult for me to be their friend, but I no longer hold it against them. I will do my best to see them as God sees them and leave the rest up to God and leave it there. Then, just like on a bottle of shampoo, you read the instructions on a bottle of shampoo. It says, rinse, lather, and then what? Repeat. Rinse, lather, repeat. Rinse, lather, repeat. If you don't, if you don't realize that sometimes you need to stop doing that, you can still be in the shower and your hair. But as far as forgiveness, we need to be like Jesus. Told Peter... Not seven times. Seven times seven. 490. Just keep on forgiving. God keeps on forgiving us when we ask Him. Is forgiveness tough? Absolutely. Is forgiveness go against our nature? Absolutely. Is it impossible? No. God wants to give you the ability to forgive others the way He's forgiven you. And if you will do that, you will see a release in your life. You'll experience peace that you can't explain because you know that you've given it over to God and you've allowed Him to love you and to love that person through Him. doesn't mean you become the walking man. I can still say I love you as your brother in Christ. I may not want to go on vacation with you. I may not trust you with my wallet, but I forgive you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to be a little Jesus to others. Father, I pray as we forgive those that have wronged us, may we remember how much you have forgiven us and all the wrongs we've committed. May we find your grace to be merciful, to be loving, to be forgiving, to be kind and tender-hearted forgiving others just as you've forgiven us. Thank you, Father, for loving us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.